Hi, everybody. This is Seth Johnson, and uh, glad to be back with you today. Uh, we have been going through a series on the book of Acts, and now we have come to Acts chapter 5. Uh, before we dig in, let's, let's say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace. Even as we're about to look at a passage that has to do with sin, uh, thank you that you are very often so slow to anger. In the passage we're about to look at, uh, your anger burst forth, the anger of the Spirit, it seems. But we thank you that often you give us so much time. I pray for the grace of repentance for my own self and for those who will listen to this recording. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in the book of Acts, um, we have been uh, seeing what's been happening since the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2. The mandate of the apostles uh, was to go into all the world, beginning in Jerusalem and Judea, then Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth carrying the gospel. But they were told to wait until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, until they received power from on high, which they did receive in Acts chapter 2. Um, in Acts chapter 3, with that fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit, and not just a fresh anointing, I mean, this is, this is a, a, a world changer, a game changer, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on them in this powerful way. Uh, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray, and they heal a lame man, a man who had been lame, I think it was for more than 40 years, if I remember correctly. And uh, silver and gold have I none, Peter says to the lame man, but such as I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then we find the man walking and leaping and praising God. And a whole crowd of people gathers in the temple. They're astonished at this incredible miracle. And you might remember from Acts chapter 4, this really is getting Peter and John in hot water with the Sanhedrin, the high court. Um, and they're, they're ordered not to preach in, in the name. Um, they say, we're going to, you know, are we supposed to obey God or man? And they say, we are going to continue to preach in the name. Then at the end, in the name of Jesus, uh, then at the end of Acts chapter 4, as you may recall from a sermon that I preached recently, uh, we find that the disciples were taking their commitment to one another very seriously. And the way they were doing that is they were... Uh, as, as people are added to the church, and at this time there would have been at least 5,000 Christians, that may just be the number of men in Jerusalem who were Christians, uh, but so at least 5,000, maybe considerably more. And a lot of them are selling their property. You know, if they've got a land or if they've got a house, they're selling that property, and they are bringing it to lay at the feet of the disciples, the apostles. Uh, and remember a man named Barnabas who took uh, some property and he sold it. Um, Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, this is chapter 4, uh, verse 36, who was called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Um, 
so, you know, he sold his land. And as we find out later, he's now freed up for mission um, and has brought it to the apostles. And a lot of people were doing this kind of thing. It wasn't just Barnabas. Um, so this idea of radically uh, being, be, being devoted to one another to try to eliminate poverty says there was no needy person among that early church because of all of this gener- generosity. Um, and, you know, now uh, what we're going to find is, though, there are some complications. Um, as a result of, you know, this generosity, maybe some people were getting some special recognition or maybe they were getting praise. Uh, It looked good to do this kind of thing. And so today we're going to look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, where they're going to imitate what Barnabas and others were doing. Let's let's start reading in verse 1. But a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, um, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself uh, with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. So in other words, Ananias and his wife, they decide together, uh, or at least, you know, his wife, has full knowledge of what Ananias is deciding. They say, you know, we're going to sell some land and we're going to bring it to the apostles and we're going to lay the price at the apostles' feet. But what they do is they keep back a portion. Now, as we're going to find out, that's actually fair. They, they, there's no command of God that everybody has to sell their property and bring it to the apostles. They could keep the property. They could sell it and give a portion of the property to the apostles to care for the poor. The problem is that they're not being straightforward. They're letting the apostles believe that the price of the land is exactly what they're bringing in. And that's not exactly true. Uh, with his wife's full knowledge, verse 2. She's in on it. Bringing a portion, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? So the problem here, again, is uh, the lie that is happening to the Holy Spirit. Um if Ananias had been completely honest and had said, this is how much the, the land is worth and, you know, it's worth however millions of shillings in today's language and I'm going to give you half of the price, well, that would have been well and good and fair and a generous and kind act on Ananias's part. But he's lying not to Peter. This is what's interesting. The Holy Spirit has become so identified with the apostles and with the early church that Peter says, you haven't lied to me. You have lied to the Holy Spirit. To believe in the church really belonging to God means that um, when we pretend... And when we are playing the hypocrite with the church, there is a sense in which we are playing the hypocrite with the Holy Spirit. And that's scary. 
you know, I've been reading a number of commentaries. Uh, Craig Keener and his InterVarsity uh, New Testament backgrounds commentary, uh, Daryl Bach, um, you know, and some others uh, here and there. I think F.F. Bruce. Um, I think it's in Bruce's commentary. He says, you know, it's not that we're supposed to walk away and say, wow, Ananias was such a terrible sinner. Um, what it reminds me of is when the Tower of Siloam fell and, uh, you know, Jesus and some others around him get report, hey, the Tower of Siloam has fallen and killed some people. And, you know, people are astonished at this bad news. And Jesus says, don't think that the people on whom the Tower of Siloam fell, that it fell on them because they were especially unrighteous. He says, I, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You know, when we're reading this story of Ananias and Sapphira, I don't think we are supposed to say, wow, these are just such wicked and especially evil people. I think this is meant to be a warning shot to the entire church. Uh, now that the Holy Spirit has been poured out in this special way, you don't want to mess with them. Uh, so Ananias and Sapphira... Yeah, Satan filled their heart. They're responsible for that. Um, you know, Satan filled the heart. It doesn't say so Satan is responsible. The implication is Ananias and Sapphira had some kind of control over that. And this is supposed to be a warning to all of us because we could easily be Ananias and Sapphira. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Here again, they were under no compulsion to sell everything and bring it to the apostles. Peter says you could, have, you could have actually kept the land, and that would not have been a sin. And after it was sold, was it not under your control? You know, Peter says, look, you could have sold it and then just told us exactly how much and then brought it in, just been straightforward, and it would have been fair. But why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied. What deed did they conceive? The deed was to lie. To lie. He says, you have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard it. The young man got up and covered him, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours. So about three hours later, Sapphira comes in, and his wife came in not knowing what had happened. You know, Sapphira's in the dark on this. And actually, there's a play on this idea of knowledge, right? So earlier we're told that Sapphira had full knowledge of what Ananias was you know, the real price of the land and what was going to happen. She had full knowledge there. But now knowledge has been withheld from her. Be careful the knowledge you act on. If we don't act rightly on the knowledge we have, we may not get knowledge at another very important juncture. She didn't know that her husband had died. And Peter responded to her, Tell me, 
whether you sold the land for such and such a price. So he's giving her a chance to be honest. You know, what's interesting here is Peter doesn't tell her what's happened. He doesn't say, now, Sapphira, I want to warn you, your husband was in here three hours ago and he lied to the Holy Spirit and he, was, he fell down dead. Sometimes we don't get a warning. And she said, yes, that was the price. She didn't get a warning, but she knew what she was doing. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together? She agreed with her husband. And I, I want to say a word here to husbands and wives. You know, the husband and wife relationship is supposed to be perhaps the most sacrosanct of all merely human relationships. But there are boundaries to, to it. Uh, Sapphira had failed to exercise proper judgment when she allowed Ananias to go forward with this. She should have said, Ananias, if you do this, you're not going to do it with my full knowledge. I'm going to do this kicking and screaming. And if anybody asks me, I'm going to tell them very plainly that this was not the price of the land. Uh, husbands and wives, what is the, um, where do you draw your line with your spouse? Where do you say to your spouse, um, I can't join you in this. I can't join you in what you're about to do. It would be a sin against the Holy Spirit. Because we have an obligation, even in that most sacrosanct of human relationships, we have to at times say, I'm not going to listen to you because what you're saying is wrong. But instead, she listened to Ananias and she lied to the Spirit. Why is it you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. Great fear. And I think that's part of the point. Um, I said earlier, I don't think we're supposed to reach the conclusion that Ananias and Sapphira were especially bad sinners. I think this is a Tower of Siloam kind of story. A be warned kind of story. You know, what's interesting is we don't get any stories like this in the life of Jesus, do we? You know, can you think of anywhere in the life of Jesus where somebody sins against Jesus and they fall down dead immediately? There's nothing like that. But Jesus had warned. He had said, look, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven man. Uh, all kind, even, even blasphemy against the Son of Man, who's Jesus. He says, but there is one kind of sin that will not be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. 
and that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think what Ananias and Sapphira were doing was blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, but Peter says it was a sin against the Holy Spirit. It was a lie against the Holy Spirit. You have not lied to men, but to God. And I think what we're supposed to see here is that contrary to the way things were when Jesus was walking and talking with his disciples on the earth, now with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, there is actually a new level, right? Uh, what we see is that it is more dangerous to lie to the Holy Spirit than to have lied to the earthly Jesus. I don't know what to do with that, but I think we are supposed to see a shift here. And, and, and I may be taking that too far. I may be taking that too far. But I do think we are supposed to see that now that the Holy Spirit is here, there is a seriousness with which he must be treated. And also, when we knowingly lie to the church or join in a conspiracy against the church, we need to be careful because there could be a sense in which we are not simply lying to men, but to God. Now, Peter was an apostle. You know, I, if you lie to me, I don't think that's a lie to the Holy Spirit. Uh, so I don't know how to sort through the weeds there. Uh, but I will say we should be careful that when we are addressing one another in the body of Christ, we need to be careful not to lie to one another because we don't want to ever, well, first of all, we shouldn't be doing that. But secondly, we don't want to cross that boundary line of a sin against the Holy Spirit himself. So the Spirit is here. There's great news, but it's also a fearful thing when we come into the contact with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you will forgive my sins because I do have sins. Lord, help me not to sin, not, not to lie against the Spirit or blaspheme the Spirit or sin against the Spirit. God, thank you that so often you don't do this. So often we get chances but Lord, help us to learn and to take this story to heart and to remember now that the Spirit is with us, it is a fearful thing to sin against him. In Jesus' name, amen.